I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to move on to Liam Tuhi and his role um, in your development as, as a manager. Tuhi and Spork people to have confidence in themselves. We had players who were starting to play and develop and they became part of the Jack Charlton era, were part of the great successes, some of them. But that night when we we beat Dundalk in Dundalk to win the league, Paul Campbell's great goal. It was one of the great nights for Pats, for the history of Pats. So I left it to go and manage the Irish shoot teams. In a good in a good place. In a good place. So at 96 then, did you feel you'd done the job you were at, you, you'd set out to do at Pats and then the the job comes up with the FAI and you'd mentioned earlier how you felt the situation with the underage system had been left to rack and ruin um, the work that Liam and, and, and you and Noel had done had been left had gone astray w- was that a new challenge something that you felt needed to be put right yeah 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 I remember seeing there was an ad in the paper you team and you wanted uh, public award and FAI Applied 80 million squares, it was that by the closing day, and it was a small ad in the paper. And I remember seeing it and going, Someone needs to fix that. This is disgraceful what's gone on the last year. Yeah, senior team, great, lovely, uh, but the underage 21s, disaster. Um, they told me that it was, it was a full time job and I'd have to give up what I was doing. And in my head, I went, Give up, Pats, after 10 years, and we've just got there and we're. But that was, so I had to make a decision. So I made a decision, a difficult, one of the most difficult decisions I ever made in my life, to give up Pats. And I was determined to put Roy, you know, I'd had the guidance, I had the experience, I'd had the guidance from Tui and Owl. I'd worked with lots of different people, as I said, like, like Mick Lawler, I'd worked with very, very closely with Tui and other people. And, and there was the time for me to give it a go. Uh, with the international thing, and, and we all know what what happened next. Third in the world, um, European champions twice, reached another um, youth's World Cup and reached the last sixteen of that. But but more so, the first time Ireland had ever won on the international stage. I want to read a quote. Richie Sadlier said that the success with the youths was one of those times. He was obviously involved in some of the teams. One of those times when everything came together perfectly. You can't manufacture it. You can't re- recreate a Brian. What's your sense of what came together perfectly? It's hard. It's difficult to sum it up. But I would have to say we're a little bit fortunate in that some great players came along through the schoolboy system in Ireland as it was. And that some of the clubs in England had developed those players well to a degree that helped us out when we got them in to play for the international team. I had... We, we had great staff. I inherited some of them. I brought Noel with me. Great people. And they... Noel, Noel kind of had this magic 
charisma, an undefinable characteristic that he pulled people together and made the team work well. Um, I, for what I had was, as I said before, I had an eye for a player developing talent. I understood tactics. I understood international football. And I had good support from the FAI at the time. The various bosses I had at the time, like Bernard O'Born, Brendan Menton, eventually, and, 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 and the office staff even in the FAI who walked around us, were supportive of, of my methodology. I mean, one of the things I had, Tommy, was a determination to get the best team out on the pitch. And I wouldn't take no for an answer when it came to dealing with the English clubs. Mm. I would fight hammer and tongs and use the rules if I had to to get the players to Dublin. Now, I don't think that happened prior to when I was in the job. I think they put up with the clubs pulling players out. I remember Sandra Powell, one of the secretaries, you know, ringing me and, and, and saying that she'd get faxes from the clubs pulling them out. And I'd say, you know what to do, Sandra, don't you? And she did. Sandra would send them back a fax at that time saying that they had to call the manager to tell them if they wanted to pull the player out. The fax wasn't acceptable. Now, that probably wasn't, wasn't in the rules. But I remember clubs saying to me after, you, that office crowd, you know, that girl, Sandra, would you, she come and work for us? <laughs> because they were so good at, at fighting the corner. And when it went well, like Aidan Gallagher and Jack Kelly, we shared, we shared that joy with the, with, 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 with the staff. But it's, it's, it's the big thing, though, that you set out, and we talked about making underdogs believe that they don't have to be underdogs earlier on, that you set out to be more than just hard to beat, you know, typical Irish thing, to go out and play good football, but to go out and try and win. And that is what you instilled into these players because they duly did go on and win tournaments and certainly go close to winning others. Well, yeah, we wanted it to be easy on the eye and we would have been respectful of, of the qualities of opposition. But we had a style of playing ourselves which was about dominating possession if we could irrespective of who the opposition was, we wanted to dominate possession. Not in, in the Jack Charlton way. And look, you know, some of Jack's teams play some great football. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, neglect that or uh, underestimate that. But we, we certainly played, about, played the game about possession, trying to, do, trying to dominate possession, trying to get your best players on the ball into key positions and taking advantage of some deficiencies we spotted in the opposition. You know, I, I can remember us winning the youth, youth, European Youth Olympics playing in Spain and the kickoff was a half 12 in mid-July in Murcia, mm. right? And, and we're playing Spain in Spain. Did they want to win? Did we want to win? Did we find a way to win? Of course we found a way. Now we had to depend on Ember Willow Flood getting the most extraordinary goal. One-man team running from deep in his own half through the whole Spanish team, right through the end. And we're going, pass it, let it out, let it out. And he just kept going, beat the last man and beat the keeper and stuck it in the net and went to penos. And we beat him on penos in Murcia, right, to win the European Youth Olympics. I don't think the Irish Olympic youth movement have ever won gold medals at team sports. Then I said... But that was with a group of players. It wasn't about we go out and kick and lash it up the pitch. We beat Croatia to play Spain in the final 
it was about having a style of play that accommodated the ability of the players we have, respectful of the conditions, that if we were going to kick and rush, we weren't going to have any possession. We were going to be chasing all the time. We had to try and keep possession. And that's what the 97 team in Malaysia, Thomas Morgan, was the captain. He, he was the instigator of the game, how we played the game, to allow Damien Duff to score the goals, to allow Trevor Malloy and Neil Fenn run in behind or get win us a free kick or a penalty around the penalty area that we'd exploit for you know, Mickey Cummins to go up and head her in. Or, but the build-up was about the back four, spreading, open up, play out in the back, use Thomas through midfield, play Alan Kirby, get him on the ball, Noel Inman. These were all... They were all two-y, top-type players, small, technical players, sometimes unappreciated at the clubs they were at and the teams we were. But we had, a, we, we had an image for them of how they could fit in to Noel O'Reilly's plan. Yeah, I played a bit of a part in it as well. That, um, I think it was an 11-week period in '98 where you win two European championships. Is, is, that your, is that your greatest moment or your greatest achievement in football? Does it, does it feel like that, looking back? Um, it was a great time. Was it any better than winning leagues with Pats? I'd find it hard to upgrade it from that, you know, because Pats was so close to me. To win international... Actually, Tommy, that 11-week period was, was great. But later, that, and earlier that year, on, on the day of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, we won a tournament in the Porto a four-team youth tournament with Portugal, France and Austria, right? And I remember us being elated about it. It was, an, it was, it was a good Friday. Yeah. It was a very good Friday for us. And I remember going, this could be the start of something. This is the first tournament we, we've won. We've got toured at the World Cup in Malaysia. But now we got in the Porto against really good opposition. So that team was to go on later that year to win the European Championships. So we won that tournament in Porto. Then the 16s won the tournament in, in Scotland with, with John O'Shea, that team, Sean Bourne was the captain, Graham Barrett, Liam Miller, the late, great Liam Miller. But we also had another team that won the tournament in Iceland, the Nordic Cup, in September that year. It was an eight-team tournament with six Nordic countries and England and ourselves as the guests. And we beat England in the final, Tommy, 3-2. And Andy Rea got the winning goal from a kickoff, England had just equalised, uh, Jermaine Defoe had just equalised, and it was 2 2. And Andy, uh, cheeky as ever, spotted that their goalkeeper was still celebrating, and he looked over to me. I wasn't quite sure why he was looking over. He was asking for permission to do something mad, to have a shot from, from the kickoff. And Robbie Doyle actually touched the ball slightly forward to him. And Andy chipped the keeper from the halfway line and we won 3-2. And I remember saying to Noel after that, this is mad stuff. That the teams, we didn't win the teams. We didn't win the tournaments. The teams won four tournaments, four international tournaments that year. It was, it was a good time. Was it the best time? It's all been the best time. John O'Shea said that he, when he came into the group, it felt like you were coming into a family and you got a hug and a pat on the back and then you were told, right, this is how we're going to go and win. Um, some of the players you've mentioned are household names, some aren't household names. Um, did you have that sense of, of keeping an eye out for them, that they were all kind of like it was a big family in that, in that sort of those couple of years and in the years that followed as they made their way in their lives inside and outside football? 
Yes, very much so. I mean, look at, you know, you're privileged to get the time with those players. You're privileged to be working with players of that ability. Some of them go on, you know, I didn't mention Jonathan Douglas there. That was one of the greatest joys. Jonathan Douglas was playing the League of Ireland B with Monaghan. When someone told me about him, he, he was 15 playing the Reserve League, League of Ireland. I was going to a match in Derry one day and I called into Monaghan on my way up to watch a B division match with Dublin University, Trinity College against Monaghan. And Jonathan's playing. And I went, this lad can play. Mm. And I put him into the squad to go to Scotland for the finals. He got trials, he went to Celtic and Blackburn signed him. He went on to have a fantastic career, an international career. Now, did I see that in him the day I saw him playing for Monaghan, where he looked quite an awkward, uncoordinated in his running style, uh, uh, enthusiastic, energetic midfield player? Did I see an international player down the road who plays for Trapattoni for the Ocean? No, he didn't. But, you know, to see his progress as a player and as a person, to see some of them, how they've developed in life in different roles. And Sean Bourne works for his dad's building company in London. Grey fella. Graham Barrett now is an agent with some of the top players in the country, but played in the senior international team. Played for me, played against, uh, played for Mick. Equally, of course, you see John now as assistant manager of the under-21 international team. 100 caps for Ireland, Damien the same, Robbie, Richard, Richard Dunn, I've seen them. But I get just as much pleasure as of the ones who just had, let's say, a more normal life, yeah. a, less, le- a less of a life of stardom and seeing, and them telling you that they're working with a local volunteer, that I'm running the kids' team mm-hmm. in Waterford. You know, um, I hear some of the lads telling me things. I'm working with Colin Healy back, you know, in Cork, coaching in Cork in the academy with, with Cork City. It's, it's, it's brilliant. But when we, I consider that it was, it was, we were lucky to have had them and delighted if we had, if they had any bit of joy out of the time they had with the international teams. It was clear to me that I had to make, I, I, I had to talk to Roy and to see could, could I organised to get him back playing for Ireland because he was certainly still one of the best players we could have. You, you move on then and you get the senior international job and everybody remembers that day in the Shelburne Hotel where there was a massive press conference and a real sense of... of there was a triumphant atmosphere and a really, it seemed like a really happy day. For you, what was going through your head that day? Was there a sense of the things you talked about earlier, of, being, of the, the Irish football people who had always been there and maybe been sidelined a bit, that it was one of our own now had the job? Was it a personal sense of, of satisfaction? Um, just tell us about your emotions that day. Yeah, I've no doubt that it, it, it was a fair bit of that. I mean, all the international managers before me had had very good playing careers. And I had had no career as a football player. And here I was being announced as a senior team manager. But I also felt I was deserving of the role. And I also felt that I was the best qualified person for the role at that time. In that I had huge amount of experience as a manager at all the different levels of the game. I, you know, I hadn't managed in England. 
Uh, I hadn't managed outside Ireland apart from the international teams and Pats when I brought them to Libya and Tunisia and Iran. <laughs> but I had a, a deep experience and I was prepared to surround myself with people who I felt would, would add to what I had and who had credentials in areas that I, I maybe was short in. Mm. And I was quite happy to do that. And I'm bringing in, you know, Packy had been there prior to me with Mick McCarthy, uh, who, who had done an extraordinary job, Mick. And Packy was prepared to stay on with me, which I was delighted. And then I was going to bring in Chris Uton, who had an outstanding playing career. Also an outstanding coaching career with sports. And had been an outstanding international player for Ireland. So he had all those credentials. He was based in England and he was certainly going to benefit me. So along with bringing Noel in as well, I felt I was... So it was a great day for me. It was a great day for people who had helped me along the way through my football education, my football career, and in life had been giving me opportunities. So... You know, it was for all of those and all the people who had encouraged me and all the, the, the people at, at St. Pat's who had stayed with me and the supporters in the League of Ireland of all the clubs. who I think they felt I was one of their own. They were delighted that, you know, although I'd been fighting against them and given, probably made it hard for them in matches and they maybe despised me because I was, you know, that little grumpy fellow on the sideline that made it difficult for their team. They respected where I'd come from. So it was a great day. It was a, a lovely day. But I was anxious to get walking, Tommy. And that was also the focus in my head. But the room that day in the Shelbourne and the... The, there was a lot of love in the room, there was a lot of respect. How much of an understanding when you got the job was that you were expected to heal some of the wounds of Saipan, specifically to get Roy Keane back in the team? I felt it was a clean sheet. To a degree, it was nothing to do with me. Uh, yes, it was involved a group of players I was now inheriting, and I had to be respectful of their positions, of how they felt about it. Um, but my... My role was to put the best side out possible to play for the Republic of Ireland and to try to win football matches with them. And out of that, it was clear to me that I had to make... I, I, I had to talk to Roy and to see could, could I organise to get him back playing for Ireland because he was certainly still one of the best players we could have. He, he took a bit of chasing, but when he came, he, you've said in the past he was, he was good for you. He was great. He was brilliant. I mean, he was, he, you know, as he, he, he still is a very influential person in, in Irish football. He's just finished up from being the assistant manager with, with Martin, Martin O'Neill. Um, you know, every word that he says is, 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 uh, is picked up on. His opinions are highly valued. But then it was about his ability as a player. And, um, once he did eventually come in, it took a while. Once he came back for the match with with Romania, we had a false start where he was due to play for us in a friendly match in Bidagosh in Poland. But on the morning we were about to leave to go to Bidagosh, he, he felt a, a twinge in his hamstring and he, he didn't look right and he didn't feel right. It was the last session and I remember that Kieran Murray and uh, the doctor, Alan Bourne, coming into me in the, into my room just at the lunchtime that day as I packed up my stuff getting ready to go to Bidigosh and uh, their opinion was that it wouldn't make sense to bring Roy to Poland with us 
that he was unlikely to play if he mentally didn't feel right and that'd be better to send him back to the club. And there'd been this massive build-up to his return and now he's going to have to pull the plug of it and disappoint all those journalists who were <laughs> paying their way. You were probably one of them, Tommy. No, no, to, you're not there that day to go to Bidigosh to play this friendly in April against uh, uh, what was considered as a meaningless friendly from the point of view of many people. But to me, no match at international level was meaningless friendly. I wanted to win every one of them. So he, unfortunately, Roy didn't come on that one. But we, we had another go. We had a few friendlies arranged for the summer. More than I cared to, to uh, more than I cared to have on my plate. Uh, I'd agreed with the, with the CEO at the time we should have two, but they, they, they bundled in four, and Roy played in one of them against Romania, the first one. And we, we beat Romania and he, he was back involved and then he, he was available for the for the qualification. And he was brilliant. He was brilliant in the group. He was he was excellent in the training and he he performed on the pitch to the limits of his ability. Um which was I was more than happy with that and I, I was delighted to be involved with him. There was one or two players that didn't play very much for me and had a little bit of a slash afterwards. I'd say Jason, Jason McIntyre was the one in particular. But if they if they weren't happy about it, there wasn't too many of them. Didn't turn up for matches when they were required. Some of the things that have been said, I mean, it's been tossed over and analysed so many times, different perspectives in the years since um, and at the time. You know, some of the theories were that people said because you were, your background was League of Ireland and underage that the players didn't, didn't necessarily respect you. Others said your preparation was, was too thorough and that the players weren't of the capacity to handle at, at that time a, a detailed level of, of preparation. And then many say you just didn't get the luck on the big day that, that every manager needs, that Jack Charlton got with Gary Mackay for Scotland, it was say back in, you know, in, in Euro 88, etc., that... That's, that's football and it just didn't fall your way. All these years later, how do you reflect on it now? Well, if they're all the theories that are out there, I wouldn't be a great man for looking <laughs> back on the theories, but if they're, if they're the three main theories, I'd like to deal with them. In relation to whether the players respected me or not, there wasn't one player who didn't turn up to play for me who I would have want, wanted to pick Every other player who were part of mixed squad who didn't play for me retired before I got the job. So me getting the job didn't influence, didn't influence their decision. There was one or two players that didn't play very much for me and had a little bit of a slash afterwards. I'd say Jason. Jason McIntyre was the one in particular. Um, but, you know, I have looked closely at, at Jason's record and in the year prior to my appointment, Jason had spent a lot of time injured. Once he was fit, I continued to select him. And the first game he was actually fit enough for to play in was a friendly with Brazil in the following year. And um, I was determined to do well against Brazil. They were the world champions in 2002. Fantastic team. The, the, the original Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Kaka... A fantastic side and I brought Jason on in the second half of the match even though it was nil-nil 
and it was finely balanced and we were playing well. Out of respect to the career he'd had as a player for Ireland, as a player, his club career. And I brought him on and he played in the match. And for me, I only used 12 players that night. And I'm sure every one of the others that I had on the bench were going, give me a game, will you give me a game? My, my head wasn't about, I'm going to give someone a game, it's a friendly. It was a friendly against the world champions. So Jason got on and afterwards he decided to retire from international football because it appears he was a bit insulted that I didn't start him in the match. And, it, and that, that's fine by me, if that's how we well, You didn't it. get that perception from other players at the no, time? No, and I didn't get it from Jason either. I, I was disappointed and disappointed his remarks since then. But I admire Jason. He's had a great, good career in the punditry thing and, and he's entitled to his opinion. But it wasn't my view of how I saw it. I would have very much wanted Jason to be part of it. Now, none of the other players pulled out of that squad... And, you know, but you need to ask the players, but I, I would like to think they all respected, not just me, but the quality of the staff. I mean, one of the greatest insults after I left was that the FAI put out a statement saying they'd hired a world-class international team mm. to work with the team. What was Chris Hewton? Was he not world-class? He's a world-class person. He's a world-class coach. He's proved it's intent. What was Packy Bonner? What was Noel O'Reilly? Irrespective of what... It was, it was quite insulting and hurtful. So the first point, I would, I would discount it, but it's up to the players to decide. But if, if they weren't happy about it, there wasn't too many of them didn't turn up for matches when they were required. In relation to the over-analysis, and I heard the phrase been used, uh, analysis to paralysis, I just thought it was so stupid at the time because other teams and other countries and our rugby team were doing it at the time. Why should our soccer players not be given the information that's going to help them to win matches against teams who will be as well prepared as we are? That's what international football is like. The best coaches get the job of the international teams of all the countries that we play against in Europe and the world. They don't give the job to the bloke as a, as a thank you for his career as a player. They give it to him because they think he's the best, best person. Quality. So they are doing their utmost to prepare to, to put their, their shape and their style and pose their style on, on you and explain, exploit any weaknesses you have in personnel. Or in your, and you have got to do the same. But what, where the team bored with the analysis... The people who wrote that didn't understand. Every group of players you'll have, there'll all, always be a diverse attitude towards it. Some players, it's the nature of the game. Some players absorb it. Players like Kenny Cunningham and Shea Given and Kevin Kilban and Matty Holland and players like that we worked at. You, you would see that when we did video sessions, it's no coincidence these sort of people who are working in the media now they absorbed it, they studied it, and they would question the stuff that you were showing them. They wanted to see it, they wanted knowledge about the opposition. There were other players in the room who you knew, they were vaguely interested, they'd have a bit, they'd be looking at the bit that might refer to them and their position on the pitch. And, they were, and then there was another, there would be a, a section of them who would clue out fairly early, you, 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 you might as well be showing them Peppa the Pig for the interest they had in it, right? Because that was the nature. They may have been because they were ultra-confident in their own ability, the position they played in. They didn't really want to play. They didn't really want that focus. 
they wanted just to focus on... You didn't feel that they were saying, who, who, who's he to tell me? I'm a Premier League you know, player. But, I, but Tommy, the, you, the point is you weren't telling people. Mm. You, were, you were showing people information and suggesting this could be helpful to them. And they were in very, they were brilliantly prepared stuff by Brian McCarthy, who continued to work afterwards with every manager after me since, up until Mick got the job. So that whole idea, I'd like to totally debunk it. I'm sure they've moved on since then. Different managers have different ways. I understand that Trapattoni um, was very detailed in his approach. Other managers since have had a different way. I don't know how Stephen will work. But so he were, was, you, were you an un unlucky Ireland manager? So that was the third one. Look, that's for others to say. I would say 33 manage, matches that I was manager of Ireland. There wasn't any day after it, after any match, that I said, we're very lucky today. Mm. We got out of jail there. Oh, we just, I, there was a lot of matches I, I felt we should have got a bit more from. We should have got a bit more, certainly from Israel at home. Israel away, where we controlled the game until the last minute. And uh, Abbas Suen, I think it was, it was the lad that stuck that shot in the net and 20 yards out, went through Andy O'Brien's legs, she saw very late. There was a lot of other little little incidents and matches, the, the, both French matches, you may match in Paris. We should have won the game in Paris, deserved to win it on the way we played, dominated possession, controlled possession. Controlled football, lovely football, brilliant. The middle, middle of the pitch, um, great performance. John should have scored. Clinton had the chance as well. And then the game here, where we had a few half chances. Another great technical match, where they, you know, they pulled out a few things to get Sadan back mm. playing in the match and Abadal, Abadal and. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That was a big one. And, and Henri scored a goal. I, I still hold that there was a slight deflection off Kenny's boo that it loop, brought on a loop over Shea. But that's how it goes. That's, that's a, it's very, very fine lines in football, but particularly in international football. Your contract isn't renewed then. Um, the years that follow, is, is that a low point for you personally? People might have said like you were, you were bitter towards the FAI then in the years that followed that. What, what was your state of mind in those years? Well, I don't know why anyone said that because I never said anything. Mm. Uh, but what was your state of mind after, 
the job, you know, the dream job that anybody would want to have, and it's gone from you well, well, in those years after. What was my state? My state of mind was that I, I was, I was disappointed that I wasn't allowed to continue, and that for, I would say, a prolonged period prior to that, I hadn't got the backing of the association. I hadn't got the backing of the leadership of the association in relation to preparation for games, in relation to the build-up to matches. And I didn't feel there was a trust or a confidence in me. And also that kind of I'd been mis misled in advance of taking the senior job, that I was also promised that there would be a role for me in the association. Uh, doing the type of work I'd been doing previously as a technical director, as the, uh, the underage manager, when my time finished as a senior manager. But that didn't, that wasn't, um, that was never raised. I mean, nothing was raised because I basically got a letter from the association telling me that my contract was not being renewed and would I, would I send them back the car? <laughs> and the other things that I'd, I, 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 other property I had belonged to them. So that type of that type of behaviour on that part left me um, stung, I'd say. But also, it gave me time out to get off the merry-go-round that I'd been in because I'd been working non-stop for years and years from the time, of, more or less, the day I left school at seventeen until the day that 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 happened, until I received a letter from the FAI. I'd been always somebody's employee, so it gave me time to reevaluate what I was doing, where I was going, what did I want to do. But, uh, you know, there was a bit of annoyance there at, at the terminology used about installing a world-class team as if what we had before wasn't. But how satisfying was it to get results at that level, of with working with those players? I mean, ha having worked with the Robbie Keynes and the, and the Damien Duffs a few years previously, suddenly you're working with people who are doing day jobs and working on fishing boats, and then you go and... Well, there was, Tommy, just to correct that one, there was nobody actually worked on the fishing boat in the team I had. So the, the Pharaohs comes along, is, is that, you, are, you, are you kind of going, yes, that's the job for me, or are you going, where did this come from, and, and this is a Different. hard place to get to? Yeah, and it, well, I, what, what appealed to me was that we played them, they'd been in our group, in the last group I was involved in with Ireland, and we'd, we'd found it difficult to beat them in boat matches. And I, I was intrigued by it, you know, 47,000 people at that time, population might have gone up since, but how difficult they made it for us. But even when we went over there, how different it was, how beautiful the country was, the extraordinary scenery. And I remember then the drive in to Tarshavan from the airport and gone, this is really different, this place. And that appealed to me, but also the challenge of the underdog appealed to me that they hadn't won a match for a long time. But I said, talking to you about it in the years since, you, you speak very warmly of the pharaohs, of the people, of the experience. You know, you've often talked about, about their decency as people and hard-working people. Some of your players were fishermen and uh, working different jobs. And was it a little bit of a re return to that kind of, those values that you, you had and worked with earlier in your career and some of the other jobs and yeah, that maybe well, came through from, yeah, well, from your earliest days? Well, you can look at it and say, well, you know, why did you not get a bigger job or a bigger club or a higher profile nation or whatever? 
there's not that many nations go for fellas outside anyway. Mm. You know, England have done now and again, but they've gone back to... Most countries like to have one of their own. And I consider it um, uh, you, a huge honour. I was, I, was I was quite humble about the idea that somebody else would trust in, in me to take their, their, their country, the fellow who's responsible for their trying to get them some matches and listen to their national anthem. I, I, I'm kind of going, this is, a, this is a big deal. And I do speak about them warmly because they were, they were very welcoming to me. They were very respectful to me. Um, they kind of embraced my ideas and my, my personal style, my commitment. And uh, they gave me that opportunity and they supported me and, and, and we got a few results. But how satisfying was it to get results at that level, with working with those players? I mean, ha having worked with the Robbie Keynes and the, and the Damien Duffs a few years previously, suddenly you're working with people who are doing day jobs and working on fishing boats, and then you go and... Well, there was, Tommy, just to correct that one, there was nobody actually worked on the fishing boat in the team I had. There may have been the lads were involved. Fish factory, though. Fish factory, well, Jens Martin, my, um, Jens Martin owned one of the biggest fishing factories in, in the Faroe Islands. And my difficulty that I had with Jens Martin was when it was very busy, he would struggle to go to the away games. I had uh, lots of lads who worked for the state. They, you know, there was teachers and there was one lad, uh, the other goalkeeper, Jacob Mickelson. He was quite experienced. But Jacob was the was a, was a, a equivalent of a TD. But he's also a teacher. I was also assistant manager of a team he played for. He wasn't exactly busy, Jack. I'd five kids <laughs> and no mobile phone. That's the secret. Don't have a mobile But they were great lads, great commitment. Playing in the league, that was of a, you know, one of the lowest standards in Europe. But nonetheless... But to go and get results, you beat Lithuania, draw with Northern Ireland, you mentioned earlier, beat Estonia, competitive in, in matches against... Yeah, we got a draw in Luxembourg as well on a hot day too. Which no, was I mean... If, not to quantify the achievements in your career, but I mean, th that must be an incredible sense of satisfaction to take those players from that level and get those results. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it was, Tommy. But the fella after me got, he did even better. He beat Greece twice, right? Okay. So, you know, maybe we, we, we set a bit of a standard where the confidence was. And they've got some other good results since. The last group qualification was quite poor for them. But what, in achieving those results at that time, how. Where, where did it stand for me? It was wonderful. I enjoyed it. Uh, more because of how small the place was and how brilliant the players were and how much they hurt every match we lost. I, like, I can remember like, my, my first couple of matches were, were France and Serbia. And I can see them going out before the match. And... It was almost smoke out our ear stuff going out. They were they were up for it. They were really, and we, you know, we lost one nothing to France, two nothing to Serbia, and the disappointment was massive. For like I was realistic enough to say, no, I'd lost one nothing to France with the Irish team. Yeah. So I'm going, hold on, I, you know, I've got, I've got Freddie, who was he be he be he be in back down the the roof on the house tomorrow morning. And Simon Samuelson will be back walking in the bank tomorrow. He's been trying to take on Everett there tonight for me and, and trying to match him getting up the line. Right? So, and, and Natalie Danielson, he, 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 he'll be back selling um, ads for the newspaper or, or, and that sort of stuff. 
So I, I was realistic, but the players had got themselves, and that was part of the nature that I understood about international football, that every country thinks the team should be doing better, and every player who plays for that country understands the responsibility. But when we got, when we got the couple of results, it was sensational. I mean, when we beat Lithuania that day, it was fabulous. And, the, you know, the, we have it now about 30 years ago, about Italia 90 and so on. I can remember the joy around that place for the days after we beat Lithuania. I can remember going to the airport to come home and everyone in the airport, a small airport now, it wasn't, it wasn't Heathrow, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was a very vibrant knock type airport, I'd say. Everybody was smiling, the check-in people, the girls, baggage handlers, pilots, and it was, a, there was, and that, you know, those results affected the morale of those people. And when we, you know, the Estonia one was, it was interesting because Estonia ended up playing Trapatoni's Island in the playoff to go to the, to the finals. But Estonia got second in their group. They finished ahead of Serbia in the group and Slovenia in the group. Both of whom had been at the previous finals and World Cup. But Estonia... Look, there was a few funny things happened. Serbia were in trouble with, for, because of crowd trouble. But we played Estonia away and they beat us 2-1. And that was one of my most disappointing days ever in my career because I'd schemed hard for that one and prepared well. And we led Estonia 1-0 going into injury time. And the fourth official put up four minutes and we're still leading 1-0. We're beaten 2-1. I was devastated about that result. So in the home game, it was a big game and we beat them 2-0 and it was fantastic. The, the triumph of the underdog and the taste for the exotic coming together <laughs> with your time in the Pharaohs. Did it kind of heal some of the wounds of the Irish management experience for you? Well, I, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, I don't see that there was wounds. There was disappointment and annoyance and frustration, but it didn't carry any wounds. I was still living life. I was enjoying myself. I was enjoying doing other things. Uh, eventually went to Pharaohs, enjoying the time of Pats, enjoying going to League of Ireland. Enjoying walking the media stuff, enjoying my walk with Sari, with Sport Against Racism. So I wasn't carrying around, you know, the, 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 any baggage from that. Um, so, but I enjoyed the time and being back in international football, um, I felt it was, a, it, it was a fitting place for me. I loved the challenges of playing Italy, France, Serbia. They were the best teams we played while, while I was the manager. But all the countries we played and, you know, meeting the other managers and identifying with them and their struggles and the pressure. The pressure, you know, there was pressure in the Pharaohs as well. There was an expectancy that we were going to win matches. They used to think we should win all the matches, you know, all the home matches anyway. But there was this pressure there as well. They did think they should do a lot better, but it was unrealistic. They didn't really... They, I think they didn't really understand what it was like out there, but they, they thought they should be winning more often, you know. In the years since, I'm glad to say you've been working in the media, including with us. Um, do you miss management? Do, you do I miss all, management? All yes. The buzzes and ups and downs yeah, you talked about. Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, I, 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 nothing, no other. I don't think uh, any other job can give you the satisfaction and the, the. the dealing with the pressure of 
the anticipation of the game and the decision-making, the preparation around the game, the anticipation of the match itself, the kind of living and dying by the results to some degree. But when it goes for you, there's nothing, nothing can touch it in terms of the satisfaction in your head that you have been some way part of helping to achieve that result for a club, for a team, for a country. It's, there's nothing can, nothing can match that. So, yeah, I do, I, I do miss that. Um, final question then. Your football story that we've heard has been an, an incredible one. Brian, I'll let you write the last paragraph then for us. What, is, what has football meant to you in your life and what has it given to you? Well, Toby, it's hard for me to summarize. It's nice of you to say that's been incredible. I don't consider as incredible. I consider it as personal. I consider it as it having been very rewarding and satisfying at a personal level, the number of opportunities I've had to do, to have the dream jobs that I had as a kid. I mean, you know, my dream was to play for, play for Pats. It didn't happen. My dream was to play in England. It didn't happen. My dream was to play for Ireland. It didn't happen. But the other ones became dreams as well. The dream about having an international team to be successful, to manage Pats and be successful. So... It never occurred to me that I might, I might manage somebody outside of Ireland, that I might manage another country, be it a small country. So that sort of stuff is very satisfying. And I hope along the way, in doing those jobs, that I've influenced some players and some people to have better careers in whatever road they went. And that... Uh, that they enjoyed a bit of fun along the way and enjoyed the success and and learned learned a bit the way I learned from some of the great mentors I had in the game and that it will continue like that for for a good few more years to come Tommy I'm not giving up on any role yet you know people Philip Philip Quinn from the Irish Mail often says to me, often says to me when he sees me, there's another gig in you yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. But what that gig is, I'm not, I don't know. But I'm quite happy doing the gigs I'm doing uh, at, 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 this, uh, at this particular time. Well, we hope there is another gig in you, Brian. <laughs> but for now, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.